Welcome to episode nine of I Quit Blank and Started Running, a podcast featuring people who turn to running as a way to overcome a particular challenge in their lives. Join me each week as I share inspiring stories of where they started, what it was that made them want to change, how running factored in, and where they are today. I'm your host, Antonia De Heinrich, and I am excited to announce that this podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts, which is probably where you are listening today. If you haven't yet subscribed, I will be eternally grateful if you do, and when you get a chance, leave me a rating and review. It would mean the world to me and my amazing guests who are all willing to share their stories with you. My guest today is my youngest to date and my first international interview. Taylor is 19 and lives in Wales. For her young age, she has already been through more than many twice her age. I was in foster care since I was four, and then I felt as though I only had control over what went into my body because people were making decisions on my behalf and everything. And I couldn't go on school trips or whatever if I hadn't had my consent from back of the local authority. So it was almost a silent protest. In addition to spending almost all of her childhood in foster care and battling an eating disorder, she and her sister became victims of child abuse by their own aunt. It took years, but Taylor eventually turned to running to heal her emotional pain and now to give back. I think running's a bit more of a scape now, and now that I'm doing it for a charity, so I'm doing it for a reason, I have a bit more willpower to like, get out of the house. And, you know, because I know every mile I do, every step I take, it's one step closer to the marathon and it's one step closer to helping a child and I didn't have that when I was younger so I want to give it to you know those that can have help. Here's Taylor. Hi Taylor how are you this morning? I'm good thank you how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me today for this podcast episode. <laughs> so you're dialing in from Mid Wales. Let's yeah. Jump in. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's uh, jump in with a quick introduction. Uh, what is your name? Uh, where are you from? And what do you do? Um, so I'm from South Wales, uh, which is in the UK. Um, I currently live in the coast of Aberystwyth because I'm at university here. I'm studying film, television, scenography, and theatre design. That's great. So, and you're obviously a runner because otherwise you wouldn't be on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when was your most recent run and how did it go? Um, my most recent run was on Sunday. Um, I did seven miles, so it was a semi-long run, I'd say. Um, but I haven't been on a run since because I feel like I'm lacking in motivation. But after this podcast, I will be meeting up with a friend to do a socially distanced run because we both be running a marathon, hopefully in October. Um, so I would say my running's going well. It's just probably lacking in motivation a bit. But You've been training for quite a while, I, I understand. So yeah, I get that. You, you know, you can't always push yourself too hard, but... Um... Yeah, no, good for you. I'm, I'm glad that you have a friend to run with later. 
Thank you. I'm quite excited. Sure <laughs> you are. Okay, so let's jump in uh, to the interview. You are only 19, and I would say yeah. you've had more life experience than many twice your age, which has forced you to grow up pretty fast, and not without significant burdens to overcome. So tell me about your earliest memories. My earliest memories, well, I went into foster care when I was um, four, um, up until I was 18, but I'm only 19 now, so I've only come out of the care system for a year. Um, so growing up wasn't easy at all. I'm in a good place now, but there were definitely hurdles I had to overcome. Um, so when I was younger, um, I lived with my mum up until I was four, but um, she was mentally unstable and very alcohol dependent. She's a lot better now, but it was a different story at the time. And my dad was never really in the picture. Um, for a while, he was drug dependent. So when we were younger, it was um, very hard for my sister and I, so I have a twin sister. Um, my most traumatic memory as a child, um, so it was the last night I spent at my mum's house before uh, moving into foster care, Was it was in the middle of the night and somebody broke down the front door and started smashing up plates and everything and then the police came. And then I remember they told my sister and I on the way to school. So we had people at the door early in the morning and they took us to school. We didn't know who they were. And they said that we were just going to go on a little holiday after school. So we'd have to say goodbye to our mum. So said bye to mum. We thought we were just going away for two weeks. And then years passed. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, we never went back, but probably, like when I was younger, probably well, I did feel as though, you know, it was their fault why everything happened, social, social services fault, but I actually thank them now because I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't go into foster care. Um, so when I was really, really young, when we moved out of our mum's house, we went into respite for a while with random people for two years and then we went to live with our auntie from the age of six to 12 and you just imagine um you know living with a family member it's all gonna be rosy <laughs> it certainly wasn't it was um the most horrific time of my life and I can hand on heart say that she abused my sister and I really really badly and um we weren't fed either, so we were physically abused, which goes on to me having an eating disorder later in life. And then we, we didn't shower. But when we were 12, um, she went away to Australia for the summer because that's where my mum's side of the family's from. We went to live with somebody else in a different place. And then um, we told them exactly what was happening to us. And we, my sister and I, we just used to it. We thought that was the way it was for everybody because, you know, we didn't really know any different. Um, so I went to live with them for, for summer. And then um, police got involved. My auntie's still in Australia this time. So we were doing statement for the police, you know, and it's a lot for a 12 year old to do at the time. Um, 
so she came back and then we weren't allowed to go back to her, which I'm really glad about. After escaping their aunt's abuse, you'd think that things would improve? Instead, Taylor was faced with a whole new set of difficulties and hard times. She started feeling like she was losing control over her life. Um, the placement that we only were meant to stay for summer, we stayed with until we were about 15, 16. So about two, three years, I'd say. Um, it was great at the start, um, but over time, I think they were just trying to abuse their power a little bit. And um, things started to get very heated in the house a lot. And I felt as though I had no control at all. And the only thing I had control over was what went into my body. So when I was 15, I was, you know, trying to cut down what was going into my body. I gained a lot of weight in such a short space of time. And it, it was just not a good place for me mentally. And then I lost a lot of weight when I was 15, 16 because of that. Um, and I was already having counselling in school because of my upbringing. I was trying to get over everything. Um, and there was, I would say, a strike, silent rivalry between my sister and I at this time because, you know, we're twins. Yeah. Um, we both wanted to be the prettier sister. You know, there's no such thing that we both wanted to be the prettiest, wanted to be the skinniest. And there was there was a silent competition between us both. And I wish I could just say sorry to her now because if I didn't do that to myself, then I, pretend I would have been helping her as well. But when you're young, you know, it's all about the body image and Instagram and you want to be skinny and everything. You want to be like the models. And, you know, that that isn't, you know, mentally it's not good for you and physically it's not good for you. Being in the foster system, kids receive therapy as did Taylor. When her school counselor staged an intervention, her eating disorder went from bad to worse. And so did her foster placement situation as families were unable or unwilling to deal with Taylor's illness. I went to a counsellor, so I was seeing somebody for my past whatever, and then that night people came up to the house and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And um, basically he'd reported me for losing so much weight in such a short space of time. Who came to the door? This was at one of your placements after your aunt's, right? Yeah, that placement. It was people from the hospital, so they were an emergency team. They came out to see me that night and they had to weigh me, they had to check my blood pressure and everything. Um, and then I went to the hospital, so I was having regular checkups in the hospital, but I was on a really, really strict diet plan. So I had no control over anything whatsoever anymore. I didn't have control over my life. I didn't have control over who I lived with. Didn't have control over my friends because, you know, I was pushing people away because they didn't want to see me that way either. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was alone. So I had control over nothing. And then that placement, it abruptly ended because they basically wouldn't have me because I was too ill, essentially. 
I felt like they didn't make it that. And I know they helped us for a while, but at the end, it just felt as though they didn't love us as much as they said they did as such. I felt as though we were just a burden to them. Um, that was during my GCSE times. It was our exams. And then we went to live with a few other foster placements at the time. I'd say about four to five um, within the space of about three, four months, maybe. So it was a lot of change and we had exams. So there was that stress. And basically my sister and I, 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 I hate saying it, but we were living out of a bag because we just were going from place to place to place to place to place and we just didn't feel wanted. And I had an eating plan as well. So I had strict times of the days that I had to eat. So I'd say I was eating about six snacks a day, but at the time it felt like it was a massive meal, even though it was, I'd say like a biscuit or two. It mm-hmm. just felt like too much to be putting into my body. After months of living out of a suitcase, moving homes every few weeks, and in and out of the hospital, things finally seemed to look up for Taylor and her sister, and Taylor's health. We eventually went to stay with, I I'm going to say their names because I want them to know that they helped me, David and Tracy. They're lovely, lovely people. And I'm still in contact with them now. And they helped us a lot. Um, we stayed with them for a while and they helped with my eating so I was gradually gaining weight and I was going to the doctor still and the doctors could see that I was gaining weight and I was getting a lot better um but we had to leave there because that was only a short-term thing and then we went to live with two sisters and I cannot stress enough they they made me go back to square one and I just didn't feel as though well, even now, like people are not educated in eating disorders. I don't think they know what an eating disorder is. And I feel like, especially if you're a foster carer, you should be trained as such to like look out for things not to say. Um, and they, I, they would have to sit with me for half an hour after every meal because I was making myself go sick as well. So I was, I was not well at all, but. I was with these David and Tracy for a long time. I was getting better. And then I just refused to eat again when I went to live with these two sisters. I'm so sorry to hear that that placement ended with the people that were good to you. Oh, they're just lovely people. I do meet them. I do still meet up with them for walks and things. But, you know, it was such a shame at the time. Like, one day we were with them. And then the next day you know people were outside saying you know you need to pack your bags and I was like again <laughs> like yeah. why did this happen like why but they're lovely people but we didn't stay with the sisters that long but it was enough to make make me realize I was like so so when did you feel like you finally caught a break was was living with the sisters the last placement before you went to live on your own or what was the um, turning point for your living situation finally actually healing your eating disorder? I would I would say the healing was once I'd left um, living with the two sisters. We probably stayed with them about a week or two, but it was just 
bad enough. Um, so she, my sister and I, we refused to go home um, in school. So we'd be like, we're not getting into the taxi to go back home. And I think then they realised like, oh, to, to make sure that they're better, they need to leave this place. And we went to live with um, Chris and Arios, um, their foster carers that I still have a room still at theirs even now and I've left them um so when I come back from university I go stay with them but that was probably the turning point for me because I think they just accepted it Do you know what I mean they weren't forcing food down my throat they would sit with me and they would sit with me for as long as it took me to eat and you know there was no pressure or anything and I got better um I got better very quick actually so once I'd like left the hospital I would say I was back and forth to hospital from about March till August September but I was still getting checked in school when I was um back in school in September so mm -hmm. I wasn't in the hospital but I was still getting checked enter running Taylor was finally strong enough for physical exercise and discovered running initially to mentally cope with her much-needed weight gain, but eventually because running became a source of emotional healing. It helped her get through the transition from school and leaving the foster system to starting her own life at university. Once I'd left the hospital, I started running because I just felt as though it was a bit of an escape um, because I was trying to escape my reality as such because... Even in my head, I'd gained weight, but still didn't feel fully better. Um, so now running is not only a therapy, but I do it because I've caught a love for it. Run as high as such. Um, mm -hmm. But now I'm in university. I'm so much happier in myself. I have, um, I'm in halls so I'm in my university accommodation and I've got my own space and I can eat whenever I want to eat and it's just really really nice and I've got really good friends I think it's really important to have a good set of friends you have to feed yourself positivity yeah and now that you're in university you know you have your own life you have control for the first time in your life leaving um foster care was hard so you have to I wouldn't say you have to leave but you're pushed to leave when you're 18 mm -hmm. um and we lived so i say we my sister and i we went to stay with um two people different people again um it's called supported lodgings um and that is where you learn, like you learn how to do laundry and your own food and everything, but we'd learned how to do that anyway, so it felt a bit pointless, but we stayed it down for a while. Another wonderful development that is helping Taylor heal is reuniting with her family. Seeing her mother for the first time in 14 years and what seemed to her like the very first time ever, Taylor describes as both a strange but also an extraordinarily special moment. We moved to my sister's, so I have an older sister, Jadan, so that all the family was back together again once I'd reached 18, and that was really, really lovely because 
it was weird. I'd never really spoke to them before, but it felt like I knew them already because they were just, they were, they were exactly how I expected them to be in. And that was really lovely. Um, and eventually we told them what happened with our auntie and things. And they totally kept contact with her. They just, they were sorry that they didn't know that that was happening to us. And I would say a lot of people, even teachers in school, they, they suspected something was happening. But unless we said something, then they would never have known. So when you say your family, um, are you referring to your siblings or, um, or extended family, like cousins? Um, so I'm only really in contact with my siblings and my mum. My, my dad is still out the picture. I tried with him, but, you know, we just didn't gel. I just, I just don't want anything to do with him, really. But my sisters and my mum, my mum has, I think she's come to terms with the fact that her sister done that because you wouldn't expect your family member to do something like that you know especially to the your own um so i think she's maybe come to terms with it i'm not fully sure i wouldn't want to believe if my sister done something like that so i can imagine it's difficult for her um yeah. but i do have family still in australia so i do speak to them on messenger and we video call now and again and everything so slowly but surely i'm getting to know my family and i'm i'm loving it the first time i met my mum was a bit weird because you know i was 17 18 like almost speaking to my mum for the first time that's what i felt like and it was just the most bizarre experience but i looked at her and i looked at myself and i look exactly like it so it was well weird it was as if i was looking into an, a mirror of myself it's just she's a little bit older than i am <laughs> people do say you like your mum <laughs> and it's not a bad thing she, she um she's a lovely woman i think she just went through a tough time everybody goes through their ups and downs i'm really happy to hear that you are back in touch with your mother and you have been with your twin sister, but also now your older sister and other siblings. I love to hear that your family's back together again. That's such a great conclusion to all the, the uh, through your childhood trauma, basically. It's the best reward in the world, I'd say, having them again. I feel like a lot of people take their family for granted as such. You know, they're just like, oh, mum's made me do this again, you know, or whatever. But I would... I would have died to see my family when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? I would have just loved to have spent time with them. Yeah, I understand. So I feel like you should just never take anything for granted. A simple thing like your own family, you know, never take it for granted because you never know what's going to happen, you know, tomorrow or the day after. So I think that's one thing to always keep in mind. Absolutely. Well, let's go back to your running because you did say you found running to be uh, healing. So how does it fit into your life today? What are you training for? Um, I'm currently training for the London Marathon. I don't know when exactly the London Marathon is going to be now, but I've been training for that. But I have done a half marathon. Um, so it was a beach half marathon before. 
Um, so I was used to train for that, but that was last year. And as soon as I finished that half marathon, I was like, wow, I can run. <laughs> um, so I went back home and then I signed up for the London Marathon. So I, I went on the form and everything. So I was going to apply for Team NSPCC and they got back to me and I got a place on their team. NSPCC is the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty Towards Children. Um, so growing up in my shoes, charities like the NSPCC help children exactly uh, that went through exactly what I went through. So raising money for the NSPCC is just extraordinary. <laughs> um, it's just the London Marathon. I don't know when it's going to be, but I was still going to run anyway. So hopefully it's going to be on the 4th of October, um, but we're not 100% sure. But even if the marathon is postponed because of you know coronavirus or anything I'll still be running a marathon on the 4th of October even if it's not in London <laughs> I'll maybe be running around my hometown but I will be running 20.2 miles that day. <laughs> wow are you gonna run it alone or do you have somebody to run with you either the whole thing or in like a relay? Maybe my boyfriend will join me for about two, three miles of it. And I mean, uh, I go to Parkrun a lot. So a lot of people in Parkrun um, run marathons and everything. So maybe if they just join me for, you know, two, three miles, it'll keep me going. Um, so I haven't really thought about it that much. But even if nobody else runs with me, I'll definitely run it by myself. Well, good for you. I admire that uh, determination. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're studying film and TV. Is that your dream job? Or if you could do anything in life, live wherever, uh, where and uh, what would it be? That's actually quite a, a difficult question. So I, I would love to work in the film industry, maybe as an editor or a camera woman or something. Slight problem, half the cameras are bigger than me because I'm only a five foot two. So I'm really, really short. So the cameras are really, really big. But I'd love to work in the film industry. Um, I wouldn't really know where I'd like to live. I would just like to travel around because that's all I've been used to really just moving place to place but to be to be fair there is no place like home and Wales is beautiful um, so I feel like I'd always come back here even if I did travel the world or whatever <laughs> but I would like to visit my family in Australia as well that would be really really nice. Yeah that's great yeah I've never been to Australia it's definitely on my bucket list as well. So in closing, what has, you, you have an incredible story, by the way, for somebody your age, as I said, you've had a lot of experience more than some people that are twice your age. So what has been your proudest moment in life and in running? In, in life, it's such a hard thing. And I, I don't mean to toot my own horn or anything, but I've been through a lot, so even the littlest thing means so much. Like getting into university for a lot of people, 
that would have been like oh just got into university <laughs> but for me I was trying to break the stereotype of being in foster care because not many people in foster care um get into um university so I was trying to break that stereotype so that would probably be my bigger you know proudest life moment breaking the stereotype and then running it would be completing my half marathon on the beach it was a windy day that day as well <laughs> and um getting into team nspcc because i was i was so ecstatic when i got into team nspcc i just started crying because i was like i've done it <laughs> so yeah especially because it's so close to your heart that whole um that organization and and well running in general i guess so yeah congratulations on both of those you know obviously getting into university and breaking a stereotype and then getting onto a team that will help you you know achieve your goals for running but also give back to an organization that is close to your heart so what are one of uh, some of your most important lessons you learned from running between foster care and your uh, eating disorder and now and where do you see it taking you in the future um good question <laughs> um i think the most important lesson i've learned is that you have to love yourself no matter what and especially your body your body because you know you only have one you have to be generous to it, you have to feed it, and you have to love and care for it. Um, but I also, you have to feed your mind with positivity. And um, there's one quote that stuck by me that I read by Jim Carrey, I think is how you pronounce it. But he yep. said, I believe depression is legitimate. But I also believe that if you don't exercise, eat nutritious food, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material surround yourself with support then you aren't giving yourself a fighting chance so i think the most important lesson i've learned is you have to give yourself the fighting chance you know it's it's inside somebody somewhere you just have to find it grasp it and use it um yeah. that's a great quote i i <laughs> hadn't heard that from jim carrey but a very good quote thanks for sharing that you're welcome. And in the future, I, I would just like to inspire people. You know, for a, a long, long time, I would only dream of where I am now. So, you know, after a bit of self-love and support, I'm the happiest I've ever been. So I would just love to see myself continuing the journey I'm on and trying to be the best version of myself. Well, you're, way, you're very well on your way, um, considering what you've had to overcome and what a beautiful soul you are now. Like, I can only imagine where you're going to be when you're twice, you know, your age now. So um, really love your spirit. So last question in that vein, what would you tell someone who says, I'd love to run, but I never will or be able to, or running is for others, but not for me? I would tell them to give themselves a fighting chance one step at a time. Simple as that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, 
I feel like it's just about opening the door and taking that first step. Um, yeah, that, that first step is the hardest step to take. It often is. Yes. Agreed. Well, I loved talking to you. Um, you, you're just such an inspiration for anybody, anybody's age, really, you know, people your age and adults who've been through um, difficult situations in life. So I appreciate your perspective and I love your spirit. As I said, I think you're an incredible person and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to show the world um, what's up is my, in my opinion. So <laughs> thank you. <so> much. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely. Great. And have a great summer. And I'll touch base with you before October 4th to see where you're at. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care, Taylor. Thank, Thank you. Ta-da. Thank you. I don't know about you, but Taylor's story touched me to the core. I'm not sure if it's because she's been through so much in such a short period of time or whether it's her ability to have coped and healed from all that has happened to her. Either way, we can all take a page from Taylor's book of resilience. If you've had challenges or obstacles in your life that you have conquered by getting into running, we would love to hear your story. To enter, just email us at quitxstartrunning@gmail.com at gmail.com or leave us a voice message with a brief introduction and an overview of your story. We look forward to receiving your submissions. Some final notes before we go. In case you're looking for me in other corners of the World Wide Web, the best way to find me is on Facebook and Instagram under my name, Antonia De Heinrich. That is A-N-T-O-N-I-A-D-E-H-E-I-N-R-I-C-H and on the I Quit X and Started Running Facebook page. To subscribe to this podcast, simply go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whichever your favorite podcast listening platform may be. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I look forward to welcoming you to my next episode on Monday, July 20th. Until then, my friends, quit whatever you're doing and start running.